I'm going to ask you to go with me again to uh, the eighth chapter of Mark. And uh, we're actually going to backtrack slightly, not a lot, because the last few weeks we've, we've sort of been revolving around this theme of Jesus challenging the people around him to understand who he is. And you could take this section, and including this section that comes next week, I'm going to briefly mention that, but uh, Pastor Jason's going to bring that text to us next week. Incredibly famous uh, story and text and uh, moment in the life of the disciples and uh, something that we as believers often will kind of touch stone back to because it's such a seminal moment. But we, we started out with, in kind of this, this section of thought, 
with the second of Jesus' miracles of, of feeding with limited supplies and then miraculously bringing those supplies to bear to a crowd of, of 4,000 to, to maybe 10,000, 12,000 people. So performing this miracle, which then, of course, as, as he describes or he challenges the disciples in the story last week, had there were leftovers. And then immediately following that, that miracle, that incredible show of his power and sovereignty, we see him in conversation with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And if you'll remember, if you missed it, go back two weeks. It's on there uh, on the pad- podcast. Um, you can find it on the YouTube page. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, two religious groups who actually couldn't stand each other and yet came together on common ground to try and tear down the ministry of Jesus and to tear down his reputation. And, and let me say, by the way, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, um, it's easy to read the scriptures and when we, when we read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we go, ooh, those guys, I'd like to punch them in the nose. They're, they're bad dudes. But bear in mind, much like we have happening in our society today, and it's, it's happened all through history, most of them did not know that they were in error. They sincerely believed the things that they held close. And, and I run into this thinking in myself even today when I'm, I sometimes will, somebody will send me a, a video link to a, a a minister, a pastor who, who is maybe doing some of the things we talked about um, the, uh, the week before that about legalism, you know, projecting man-made rules onto people as if they're biblical truths and actually as seeing in the flesh, you, you, can, find, you can find these guys, and I, and I grew up with some of these guys, who seem to teach so much about behaviors and the way women dress and how women are at fault if men have lustful minds because of the way they dress as opposed to addressing what Jesus said, which was, uh, you need to fix your heart if that's a problem with you and not blame the woman for that. Or, um, you know, you can't listen to certain types of music. You can only listen to hymns or, depending on which flavor you're in, southern gospel music is okay, but not if it has an electrified bass. Or, you know, I mean, it just, you can, right? And this is the problem with man-made rules, And I have a tendency to look at those things when I see them, when I hear them, and I I get a little self-righteous about that person. But then I have to be reminded that very few of them are, are, are sulking about like an evil man, like going, ooh, today I'm going to make up some rules to trip up some people because I want to be able to point my fingers at them. They genuinely believe that what they're saying, what they're teaching, the way they're often horribly misapplying scriptures, they believe that's the truth. Why do they believe that? Because they're deceived. And I have to be suspect sometimes in my own life. Am I deceived about things that I believe about Christ, about the Christian life? I try as much as I can to be faithful to the text of what we have here and a word that goes along with that, and I encourage you in this as you read your own Bible, as you study, as you listen to other teachers perhaps, a word that is really king here is the word context. I, can, I could give you hundreds, probably thousands of examples of lovely verses in the Bible that are ripped out of what? Context. 
and then used to mean something they never meant. I'll give you an example. Here's one that's going on right now in our modern culture. A lot of my friends, I get it. And as I'm looking at this auditorium this morning, God bless you too back there. See you. I see those hands. I see that hand. Um, we have, you know, we're, we're open for church, folks. I don't know if you knew that. If you're good to come, not a lot of you have come. You seem comfortable at home. It's okay. I want to warn you. I want to caution you. Habits are hard to break. And if you've now gotten in the habit of where you go, you know, I don't really need to be at the church, you might want to check that because there's something that happens in the context of corporate worship. And the Bible, without question, teaches that we should gather together for corporate worship and for teaching and instruction and for encouragement and edification. However, the verse that says where two or three are gathered in his name, there will he be in the midst of them, is not a verse that is talking about meeting together for corporate worship. But it's used all the time to support that idea. Now, is that concept good, where two or three are gathered? Yes, but that verse in its context is talking about something different than gathering here together in corporate worship. There is that passage that's also being used quite a bit now, which is more in context, which is don't forsake the gathering together of the believers. Good. Now, we could have all sorts of esoteric comment or conversations about, you know, is, is gathering together, electronically gathering together in a form? It is. Is it, is it the highest form of that? It is not. However, you also have to recognize, because we're talking context, right, that we could go around our globe today and find places where people who are sincere, authentic followers of Jesus Christ cannot meet together with other believers. So, do we call them less? Do we say that they're um, failing somehow? We don't. And so we have to be suspect of that. And so I say all that to say that when I talk about these stories of the, Ph the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all of those things, it's easy, it's kind of low-hanging fruit to assume that those are bad people. But they're sincere people who sincerely believe something that they have been deceived about, and we should be suspect in our own lives, which is why we always go back to the Bible to understand what it is God wants us to know and wants us to, uh, to live, how he wants us to live and how he wants us to, to think and approach others and, and to, to engage with the world around us. So we take all of that and we take this progression of things that's happened. The, the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 plus with leftovers, then the Pharisees come immediately after that and say, hey, give us a sign. Show us who you are. And Jesus says, basically, I've given you a lot of signs already. The likelihood that if I do a little trick for you right now that you're going to believe me is, is not high because really, I can tell already, you don't believe in me. And nothing I do is going to change that. So, in fact, he says to them, I'm not going to give you any more signs to satisfy you. In fact, the, the next sign that you're going to see that you might understand, he says, is a sign that's just like the sign of Jonah. And Jesus was speaking in a metaphor about how he was going to go into the belly of the earth, like Jonah went into the belly of the fish, and after a few days, he was going to be resurrected. The earth would reject him, and he would be 
resurrected. And then shortly after this, the next thing that happens is the disciples are with him. They get in the boat. They're going across the sea to a place called Bethsaida. And the disciples are worried in the boat. Why? Remember why? Because they don't have any bread. And as we discussed last week, I think Jesus might have been a little peaked right here. He might have been a little bit irritated at this point. Because remember, follow the progression. Just fed 12,000 people. Just told the Sadducees and the Pharisees that I wasn't going to give any more signs because they've seen enough. And you guys were with me when all that happened. And now we're in this boat and you're worried about bread. And remember the key phrase that he says, do you still not understand? All right, so if we took this next little story, the little tale that we're going to work with today, and it's not going to take very long because it's pretty compact. I want you to understand how this story connects to everything that I just described to you and all of the, the things that we've talked about the last few weeks, which is why I would encourage you, if you haven't seen them, if you haven't listened, go back and get them because it's all connected and this is context because not only the event that happens, but the way it happens is important. All right, so it's Matthew chapter 8, verse 22 is where we're going to start. And actually, where do I have you starting? Sean, did I have you backed up a little bit from there? 17, let's go back to there. All right, so here's, here's kind of that recap, all right? Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, aware of this, said to them, why are you, oh, sorry, to the disciples, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And then he gives them a little laundry list. Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up afterwards? Take up. They said to him, 12. And the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets of full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And, it, and, and he's expecting them because... Like we said, this next thing is a rhetorical question. He said to them, do you not yet understand? He's asking them, it just came out of your mouth that you witnessed those miracles and that there was an abundance when we started, there was not nearly enough, and when we finished, there was an abundance. You saw this. It just came out of your own mouth. Why don't you get it? It's like uh, Shawshank Redemption. Are you being intentionally obtuse? And so then this happens, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, sailing across the sea. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And I just want to stop there. We might be tempted to think of this in same terms as the story that we have uh, that I think Jason uh, was the last one to teach on this here several weeks ago, might have been months ago, um, where the, the friends, and this is how it's described in, in the Bible, friends bring a, a man who's crippled on his bed to the house where Jesus is teaching, and the house is so full they can't get in, and so they climb on the roof and they cut a hole in the roof and lower this man down to be healed. It's an amazing story. And we might be tempted to 
compare this one to that one, but this is a different situation. In fact, this is much more along the veins of the Sadducees and the Pharisees who said, hey, do a trick for us, Jesus. And we, we know that because we see what happens next. So these people here in this town, they bring this man, probably well-known in the community. He's blind. They bring him to Jesus, and they're like, hey, hey Jesus, make, it, make him see. That'd be great. It'd be awesome. We want to see this. Make him see. And Jesus, it seems, is, is turned off by this. Now, he's not turned off by the blind man. He's not, he's not uh, unwilling to see the need because we're going to see what he does here in response to that. But he does sort of kill two birds with one stone here. One, he rejects those who would seek to have God be a dog and pony trick show. And we have to be careful of this in our own lives. When we're, when we're seeking God's move, when we're seeking God's intervention, we have things going on in our lives that we want God to, to interact with and, and help us with. We have to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap of treating God like, as I've said before, a cosmic vending machine where where we plug in our, our quarters of church attendance and giving and reading our Bible and being kind to our neighbor, and then we're like, okay, I need something, God. I'm just going to punch, you know, A4 on the vending machine, and you give me what I want. As well, we should be cautious of testing God in a way that's frivolous. And that's an interesting concept because the Bible does say, God says, test me, try me, see if I'm good, he says. But by the same token, it also says, don't try to tempt God. Don't test him to satisfy your own fleshly desires. Don't test him in a way that says, I can make you do whatever I want. You're my, you're my dancing monkey. And that's kind of what's happening in this text. These people bring this man who's in desperate need, but they want not his healing, they want a show. And Jesus refuses to give it to them. And this is what happens next. So they begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the man, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. So he took him away from the people so that they could not see what he was about to do and they would not receive, they would not receive the fleshly reward of seeing Jesus do what he's about to do because they were not, they were not asking with a spiritual thirst. He led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes, <laughs> I was going to make a COVID joke, but just never mind. When he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Now let's stop there. Is he fully healed yet? Is he seeing with definition? Is he seeing clearly? 
Now let's, now let's ask the question. The, the answer to that, by the way, that was sort of rhetorical, but it is no. Because he says, he says, well, I see something. I can see people walking around, but I don't see any definition. They, they look like trees sort of swaying around in the sunlight. Now, did this happen because Jesus was, you know, he had a, a low charge that day, you know, hadn't, hadn't plugged in the night before, and so his Jesus power was a little under the weather. Or this guy was like really blind, and it, and it took like twice as much. I, I don't think any of those, I don't think those are the circumstances that work here. I mean, we understand that, that Jesus has this power. It's been at his disposal. This is not the first physical infirmity that he's addressed. There's something very intentional that's happening here. I want you to, to think about it for just a moment. Think about the story that I just told you, bringing you all the way from the feeding of the 4,000, the Sadducees and the Pharisees who want Jesus to be a, a trickster, and then the disciples being worried about bread and Jesus reminding them, didn't you see all of these miracles? And what's wrong with you guys? And then we get here. And he's really asking the same question of the blind man that he asked of the disciples when he said, why don't you understand? He's using this moment as a teachable moment to show the disciples not only what their condition is, which is that he's been with them. They have been the recipients of his ministry, his power, his presence. They've seen him perform miracles with his own hand, and yet they still don't see clearly who he is. This was... This was all for the benefit of the disciples to try and get them to understand more fully who he is. And it's going to pay off. I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. So he says, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent the man, he sent him to his home, saying, don't even enter the village. This, is, <laughs> this feels a little passive-aggressive, Jesus, against those people who wanted you to do a trick. But that's exactly what he's doing. He's like, look, I healed you. I'm sure Jesus was excited. There were laughs. There were smiles. There were hugs. This is amazing. This is awesome. I can see. I can see everything. It's all so clear to me now. And Jesus is like, I don't want to give those guys back there any satisfaction. So don't even go back in there. Go find something else to do and enjoy your new eyes. And so he gives this man this healing. He sends him off, but this healing was less about the man than it was about the disciples who still didn't understand clearly who Jesus was. And I wonder sometimes, in our own lives, if this isn't how God works with us sometimes. I mean, I don't know about you. I know about some of you because we've had conversations. But if we're believers, those of us who are believers, I feel pretty confident in saying that we have seen 
circumstances, moments, and times where God's hand has moved in a miraculous way. We've, we recognize it. We see it. I mean, let's, let's think back. Think back to the feeding of the 4,000. When all that happened, they had seven loaves. Jesus blessed it. They fed the entire crowd after they gathered up 12 baskets full of leftovers. Do you think that the disciples were blown away by that? Were they excited? Were, were they having animated conversation when they all got back together and they went, how does this happen? Look at this. This is incredible. Jesus did this. He blessed it. And, and, and I walked around with my loaf and you walked around with your loaf. In fact, we had to break them in half because there's 12 of us. There were only seven loaves. We had to split that stuff up. And then we walked around and we started handing it out. And next thing we know, 4,000 plus people ate and were filled and we still had leftovers. This is amazing. And then like 24 hours later, they're going, we don't have enough bread. And it would be in my character if I were Jesus. Not if Jesus were me living my life, because that's the goal we talk about. What is our... What is our what is our purpose as Christians is for us to live our lives as Jesus would if he were in my life. But if you took me and put me in Jesus' life, it would be a different story. There'd be a lot of slapping guys up beside the head, you know, and fingers in their faces and, oh, what's wrong with you? But Jesus is so good. Even though I think he was, he was annoyed in the boat, his annoyance led him to take another step to reveal himself. And I think this is what he does in our lives because I'm sure you, like me, you've had those moments where you've seen God move. Um, you've seen him move through the forgiveness of others towards you because you really messed it up. You've seen him move through provision for you when you didn't think there was going to be enough. You've seen him, him move in opening doors or closing doors when you didn't know which direction to go, and he gave you a, a confidence and a security in how to do what you needed to do. And then 24 hours later, some other circumstance arrives, and you're banging your head against the wall going, what now, Jesus? What are you going to do now? What? This is a mess you've gotten us into, isn't it? And if I were Jesus, and maybe if you were Jesus, I don't know, I might not take that very kindly or positively. And I might be upset with you. But Jesus is so gracious. And what I've found in my life is that times when I'm struggling, when I'm wrestling, might even dare to say I'm doubting, he never punishes me for that. He comes to me. He, he shows me. He reveals himself in some way through another person, maybe through, maybe through Karen, maybe through my children, my friends, other ministers, maybe through his word, just reading, and, and he reminds me of something. I go, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. 
Or maybe it's like in the Old Testament when they would, they would take and, and build a monument somewhere because God did something great and they wanted to, for all generations to come, when they walked through the wilderness and they walked by that monument, the story would be told of what God did. Maybe sometimes God reminds me of monuments that have been placed in the course of my life where I saw him work. And so then I take comfort and I trust him in the situation I find myself in today that I wasn't expecting. That's what he does here. As he takes the disciples, and even though he feels like they should know by now, he gives them a little bit more. And he's, it's almost a little bit too on the nose. Because it's, here's the blind guy. He touches him and he sees, he sees better, but he doesn't see perfectly. You guys paying attention? See, that's you in the boat. That was you in the boat saying, we don't have enough bread, is, is the blind guy who can sort of see but not clearly see. So, watch. And he touches him again, and it says that he began to see clearly, fully healed. And that's Jesus saying, this is where I'm trying to get you. This is who I want you to be. I want you to see me clearly. And when, when Jason picks this up next week, the next part of the story, we're going to see that Jesus' plan works out perfectly here. Because one of the guys that's with him, one of the guys who's watching all of this unfold, as, as all of this is happening, all of the miracles are, begin, they, they come together like in a funnel all of these experiences, the teachings of Jesus, the miracles that he's seen, the, the, the time that he spent one-on-one with Jesus, the, the words that Jesus have spoken, and all of the miracles and all of the interactions and the way that Jesus has treated people, they're all up here in these experiences, and they start to funnel down in this moment. And it starts back with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and it starts with the boat when they don't believe. And Jesus says, why don't you guys understand? You've seen all this. And then it comes down to this moment with this blind man where Jesus uses this metaphor of the man seeing in stages and going from one who sort of can see to one who clearly sees. And it's like a lightning bolt hits one of these guys, and the truth of who Jesus is just comes blazing through his consciousness. And he makes maybe uh, the greatest confession in all of Scripture that we find. And that's in next week's text. So you can read ahead if you wanted to see that. Jason's going to bring that to us. But for here, for now, for this moment, that leaves you and I with the question, you and me with the question, Do we yet understand who Jesus is? Jesus asks us, can you see? And you have to wrestle out the answer 
You know yourself. Is your answer, I don't have any idea what I'm looking at. Is it more like the blind man the first time around? Eh, sort of. Kind of have an idea who Jesus is. Or are you, man, that's Jesus. I know that guy. And he's God. You have to figure out where you are in those three categories or anywhere in the process in between, right? And then consider that where you want to be is I can see clearly now who Jesus is. And then consider, ask God to reveal to you what do you need to do to get to that place? To be that person who is not a disbeliever, who is not seeking God to perform tricks in their lives, who is not being flippant about the work that God has done in their lives and still don't fully trust him. But what does God need for you to do? What transformation needs to take place in us, inside, from the inside out, that transforms us into someone who fully believes and is devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? Ask him to reveal that to you and then have a willing heart to do as he asks you to do. I ask the worship team to come back and join us for one final song, and then we'll have uh, a closing video. Let me uh, pray for you. Now may the Lord bless you, keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Father, I pray that you will continue to reveal to us the person of Jesus Christ, his place in our lives, and our purpose before him, with him, through him. Thank you.